Hallelujah. Psalm number 42 is where we're getting into this morning. And what we're looking at today is how we answer the question of the hour. So, so many times we, we don't even know that the world is asking questions because if we're not careful, we can, uh, we, we can be listening to the world instead of answering the world. And one of the things that we need to know is that God has a reason for us today. And that reason for us is to share the gospel. Your reason is not to get a new car or get a new house. Uh, your reason for being here is to be redeemed and then to, to, to be used by the Lord to redeem others. That's our mission. We, we, we said earlier, nobody gets an exemption card from the Great Commission, but we're all commissioned by God to spread the gospel to every creature. It doesn't matter their nationality. It doesn't even matter their political party. Our job is to be used by God to spread and propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the gospel of our church, not the gospel of our denomination, not the gospel of our favorite pastor or evangelist, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what sets people free, and that's what the world needs today. Our world today lies in darkness, many times because the church has been playing instead of praying. One of the things that we see in the church world today is an effort uh, to do anything and everything except for the one thing that sets people free, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, as we get into this message in Psalm 42, we're going to begin in verse number 10. It says, as, as the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Have you ever felt like that? Have you, ever, have you ever wondered where God is in your life? Have you ever been in a place, in a situation, and things going on in your life where you wonder where God is in this? Where is God in my situation right now? Where is he? And what you see here is the enemy asking that question. So, so many times the enemy will plant those thoughts in our hearts. The enemy will plant those thoughts or he'll even use someone in our lives to begin to question our faith, to begin to test and push on our faith. Where's your God? If you, if you serve God and God is good, then why are you going through this? You know who had friends like that? Job did, didn't he? Job did. Well, Job's not the exemption to the rule. He's, he is the standard gold standard for patience, but he's not the exemption to the rule. If, if Job went through that, don't you know that you're going to experience things like that? He's not the only one that had people close to him sow seeds of doubt into his life to point out discrepancies, to point out places where it seemed to be lack, to point out places where there seemed to be a dark hour or a dark spot. And, and, and so many times in our life, if you, if you listen to what the world is speaking, you'll begin to hear that same voice. And you need to ask yourself who you're listening to. Are you listening to the world or are you listening to the Spirit of God? Because there's two competing voices for your soul. And, and, and even if you're a child of God, it doesn't exempt you from listening to the voice of the devil. In fact, you even more need to contend against the voice of the devil when you're a child of God. Because he wants nothing more than to derail what God's doing in your life. He, he comes, the Bible says, to, to steal, kill, and destroy in John chapter 10. Did you know that? Did you know that that's for you and for me? That the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, the devil's not satisfied with you being all right. Have you ever felt like in life you want to just get to that place where you're at a plateau and you don't have to do anything anymore? You don't have to strive. You don't have to fight. You don't have to contend. You don't have to pray through situations. You ever get in that place where you just want to plateau? Yes, because that's how we are. That's our human nature. But the Spirit always strives because the enemy is always sowing in darkness into the lives of the believer. So we see that the, that, that the enemy, it is the enemy that will begin to question, where is your God? Where is your God? And, and do you have an answer for that? Do you have an answer for that? Um, are you speaking to the world or is the world speaking to you? Which voice is louder? The, the voice of the world or the voice of God in your life? 
It says here that, that while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? That, that tells you right there that the battle that we're talking about today is not a one-time and done thing. It is an ongoing thing that we as believers will contend against. We as believers daily get up with ourselves, and we as believers daily have to contend against the devil. We as believers have to daily contend against the, the spirit that is warring against us, that evil spirit that is in the world today. Here we see that, that it is a daily ongoing thing. And, and you know, um, it says here in verse 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance in my God. You see, if you begin to listen to doubt or you begin to get inundated with the things of the world, what's going to happen is you're going to get cast down in your soul. You're going to get cast down in your soul. In other words, people are going to be clapping and shouting and singing about God, and you're just going to have your head hanging down. Or you're going to begin to draw back into a dark place. The enemy loves nothing more than to separate the people of God, to draw you away from the people of God, to draw you away from the house of God, to draw you away from the Spirit of God, and to get you alone by yourself somewhere where nobody else is so that he can continue to sever you from the life of God. He doesn't want you to be experiencing the Spirit of God. He doesn't want you to grow in God. And he certainly doesn't want you to be useful for God. So what is he going to do? He's going to begin to question you, push on you, to fear, to doubt, to get you into a place where you are cast down. Now, you're not exempt from that. I don't care how long you've been walking with God. I don't care how strong you think you are. At some point in time, you'll begin to wonder why things are the way that they are. That's the voice of the enemy. Why are things the way that they are? And the minute we begin to go down that road, we will begin to get what? We will begin to get cast down. We will begin to be like Eeyore. We'll begin to say, well, it doesn't make any difference if I go to church or not. It doesn't make any difference if I read or not. It doesn't make any difference if I pray or not. It doesn't make any difference if I memorize a scripture or not. It doesn't make any difference if I study the Bible or not. It doesn't make any difference, Pastor, if I stand or sit or lift my hands or shout or clap or dance. It doesn't make any difference. What has happened is you've listened to the voice of the devil and he's done got you cast down. He's done got you into a place where you don't believe that God can break chains. He's done got you into a place where you don't believe that God can change situations. Amen? He's done got you into a place where faith is waning and fear is growing. And I want you to know, if you look at this world that we live in right now, and if you don't look at it through the eyes of faith, you will begin to get cast down. You'll begin to think that it's all over, there's no hope, everything's going down, nothing's going up. Well, I want you to know something is going up. The bride of Christ is going up. The river of the Spirit is going up. Amen? The Lord said when the enemy comes in like a flood, he will lift up a standard against him. The Spirit of God will lift up a standard against the enemy. What's going up? The Spirit's going up. And you know what? The day that Jesus comes back, the bride of Christ is growing up. The dead in Christ are going to raise, and we which are alive and remain will go up. So it does. It looks like the world's going down, but the bride of Christ and the Spirit of the Lord is going up. And so we have to see that if the, if the enemy can do anything in your life, it is to separate you from the people of God, from the house of God, from the word of God, from hoping in God, from praying to God, and from pressing in towards God, from having faith in God. That severing takes place whenever we begin to let our souls get cast down and allow that to continue to set in. So here we see that there's a, 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 a casting down, and it says... Uh, why art thou disquieted within me? What does it mean to be disquieted? It's a little bit of an older word, but what does it mean to be disquieted? To be disquieted means that there, the, the quietness of the soul is gone. That's what that means. In other words, there's no peace or tranquility in your soul. You no longer believe that God's got it. You no longer believe that God's got it. 
Now you're in a place where you think that it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it, but it's just going to be however the world wants it to be. It's going to go however the world wants it to go. You begin to look at things through the eyes of the natural uh, reasoning. You begin to look at the, the, the world through the outward extremities instead of the inward working of God. What does it mean to be cast down? It means to be hopeless. What does it mean to be disquieted? It means that there's no longer any peace in your soul. And I want you to know today that God wants to restore hope. He wants to restore your peace. He wants to restore what the enemy has taken from the bride of Christ. The sad reality is, is when the wicked rule a, 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 a society uh, or a nation, the righteous perish. When the wicked rule, the righteous perish. When the wicked begin to rise up, the, it is the righteous that are persecuted. It is the righteous that are persecuted. And they mockingly ask, where is your God? Where is your God? And if you don't watch out, you'll begin to get disturbed in the soul. And I want you to know that the world's not going to stop being the world. Come on. The world's not going to stop being the world. It's going to be the, as ornery and as depraved and as dark as it is until Jesus comes back. It's going to continue to go the way it's going. You have to get in that place where you are who you're supposed to be in spite of what the world is. What he says here is so important. I want you to see this. Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. In my God. You see, it is one thing that begins to turn the situation is when you begin to hope in God and not in men. When you begin to hope in God and not in men, that's when things will begin to change. See, whenever, we, whenever you see the church running to politicians, you know the church is in error. When you see the church running to politicians for help, promoting politicians and, and, and running to men for help, you know the church is in error because our help comes from God. Our help comes from above. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in heavenly things, not in earthen things. Amen? And if you begin to let the, the enemy stir you and get your eyes on the natural, you'll begin to hope in the natural. If you put your eyes on the natural, you let the enemy put your eyes on the natural, you'll begin to hope in natural things and expect natural things. But you've been called a saint of God. You, you, you've been called by God to live for the heaven above. Amen? You've been called by God to live for the heaven above. The answer is to keep your hope in God. That's the answer. The answer is to keep your hope in God. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. To keep your hope in God. That is the answer. Over here, Peter is... is telling the church that he's writing to um, about the suffering that they're going through. And he was, he was saying the same thing. Nobody's exempt from this. Nobody is exempt from these situations. In fact, the more righteous you are, the more you're probably going to get picked on by the world. The more you live for God, the more you're probably going to be attacked. You ever felt like, hey, I'll, I'll take one step forward and then there's two back. Every time I begin to press in, I just feel like it's pressing more against me. Well, I hate to be like this, but duh. You think the devil's just going to roll over and let you just continue on skipping, singing zippity-doo-dah on your way to heaven? As the old saint said, the, the devil has his, his sword drawn all the way up to the pearly gates. He's going to fight tooth and nail till it's over. Well, we have the victory in Jesus, but if he can get your eyes on natural things and get you to stop believing, get you to stop praying, get you to stop pleading the blood of Jesus, get you to stop standing on your faith, then you are, as we say, you, you are just putty in his hands. Fodder for the enemy's joy. 
Here we see it, uh, Peter was going through the same situation, but he was explaining it in a, in a different way. He says in verse number 14, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he said, But, but and if you suffer for the righteousness sake, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, what if, why would you suffer for righteousness? Have you ever suffered for righteousness? Do you know that most of the time contemporary Christianity's message is to do anything and everything to avoid suffering? Right? It, it, it's so that we sleep on a pillow of ease, so that our blanket is, is, and we're snuggled up to a little teddy bear and we're just snoozing through life. Contemporary Christianity's message is to keep you as comfortable as possible so that there's no pain, there's no suffering. But Peter's here is telling us that if you're righteous, you're going to suffer. Sometimes if you, if you allow the enemy to press on you, and I've seen this so many times, if you begin to stand on what you know is right, the enemy's going to press back. If you know it's wrong for people to, to shack up and commit fornication and adultery, watch out because there's going to be times that it's going to cost you to speak out against that. But if you stand for righteousness, you will suffer because the world is not going to go quietly in the night while you sing hallelujah. It's going to push back. It's going to push back because if you've ever tried to put a, a, a if you've ever tried to put a shoe on that's too small, you know it don't go good. And, and the holiness of God doesn't fit this world. It will always press back against a person who is righteous. And if you live for righteousness, the world will push back on you. The devil will push back on you. The spirit of the world will push back on you. And so sometimes, as I said, the modern Christianity teaches and, and, and proclaims that there should be no suffering. There should be a life of ease. But if you stand for truth on the job, you might have to, you, you might have to give an honest report when it costs you something. Or it might even be in a family situation that you have to speak truth to somebody that doesn't want to hear it. And when you say it, they're going to call you every name in the book from goody two-shoes to who do you think you are? I knew who you were when you was a kid. Who do you, you're just playing around. I know you. I know the real you. That's why it's hard to talk to family about situations. Because they think they know the real you. But what they don't understand is that the real you is crucified with Christ, buried with Him in the baptism of His death. The person that they see standing before them is not who you once were. The Bible, as, as, as the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And I want to know, does Christ live in you? Because you and Christ can't live in the same house. You have to make that decision whether Jesus lives in you, and if he does, you're going to stand for righteousness. If he does, you're going to speak out against sin. You're going to lead people out of darkness and into holiness. You're going to speak a word in due season that brings hope to the weary, the downtrodden. You're going to speak life to those that are all the time in darkness and death, and God will use you to stand for righteousness when the world wants to push against you. The righteous, the righteous will suffer the pushback. Amen? If, in today's world, if you stand up for marriage between one man and one woman, the world will push against you. You know what's so crazy? You have to say this. But if you stand up and you say that our children shouldn't be sexualized, the world's going to push back against you. If you stand up and say it's not right to kill babies in the womb, the world's going to push back against you. If you stand up and proclaim these types of truths in this generation, you will suffer for righteousness' sake. And it's always easier to keep your mouth shut. Maybe to clap for those that do stand up, but not put your neck on the chopping block. Well, that time for that's gone. We're in a situation in the church today where we need everybody to stand up for righteousness' sake. 
We need the men and women of God to get filled with holy boldness once again. You see, it was whenever the church was being birthed in the book of Acts, and, and, and they were looking for people to stand up and help do the ministry, Peter said, let's look out for men that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he chose Philip, and he chose Stephen, and he chose five others. And every single one of them, not one of them lived a comfortable life. Not one of them sat in on, a, on, a, on a golden palace chair. Not one of them sat in a pastor's chair up on a, on a, on a platform like a peacock. Not one of them drove a nice car. Not one of them had nice clothes. They all, listen, they all suffered and they all were persecuted and they all were killed for standing for righteousness. They stood against drunkenness. They stood against adultery. They stood against fornication. They stood against homosexuality. They stood against the murder of the unborn. They stood against all the vile things that are going on in our world today. It was going on then. They stood against it. And we need men and women that are filled with the boldness of God to stand against it today. Peter said that if you, if you are righteous, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for that? Do you have an answer for that? Because when you begin to stand for righteousness, you're going to suffer. How many of you think that it was kind of hard for the Apostle Peter to write a book called Your Best Life Now when he was crucified upside down? When he was crucified upside down, did you know tradition says his children cheered for him? That's what tradition says, his children cheered for him. They didn't whine and complain, they were cheering because they were proud of their father for standing for Jesus, for not compromising his belief to fit in to a dark, depraved, decaying society. Because he stood on the truth of God's word and who Jesus is, he was killed. His life didn't get better, it got worse in the eyes of men, but not in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, I believe he received a standing ovation just like Stephen did. In the eyes of God, I, I believe God was more proud of Peter on that day than any day of Peter's life. To stand on the authority of God's word and who Jesus is and to defiantly not compromise. Just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Gideon, Samson, all these great men and women of God down through the ages stood on the authority of who God is and on his word, on his truth, uncompromising, and it cost them. It cost them. So you may or may not get into a situation where you may have to get crucified upside down. You may or may not get into that situation. Lord forbid, we do, right? I hope we don't. But in case you do experience suffering like the Bible says you should be, I want you to know that there's something God wants you to have. There's something that God wants you to have in the face of suffering. There's something that God wants you to have. It's an answer. And I want to know, do you have that answer? Because if you're a child of God, you should have an answer for this generation. You should have an answer. Your answer should not be, come to Jesus, here's a popsicle. Your answer should not be, come to Jesus for your best life now. Your answer should not be, here, sign up for my political party. Your answer should not be, join our carnival. Your answer should be what the Bible says. Do you have an answer? And if you do, what is your answer? Look at this next verse. He says in verse 15. He says in verse 15. But sanctify. Did I read verse 14? But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. I didn't finish this verse. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, there's one thing that, that, that we need to understand in order for us to give an answer to others. We have to first sanctify the Lord in our hearts. We must first set our hearts on Jesus. 
Heard one minister say, he's not asking, did you set your heart one time on Jesus? If you sanctified the Lord one time, he's not asking, did you sanctify the Lord one time in your life? He's asking, is the Lord sanctified right now in your heart? What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. To be sanctified means, have you set God apart in your life today? Have you set your heart on God right now? Is your heart set on Him? Because so many times we get our hearts set on this life. We get our hearts set on what we can get out of life today instead of what we can give God today. And he's saying, first off, before you understand that you're supposed to give an answer, you must first know and understand this. Sanctify God in your heart. Sanctify God in your heart. Is God sanctified in your heart? Only you and the Lord knows that answer. Only you and the Lord knows that answer. And before you get to this next part, you first have to go through that. You must first get to the point where God is preeminent in your life. Too many of us are too preoccupied with the life uh, that we're in right now than to sanctify the Lord of glory right now. Some of us, we're too busy worried about how many weeds we have in our grass. We're too worried about how many wins or losses our ball team has. We're too worried about whether we're going to get married or not. We're too worried about whether we're gonna, our investment in the stock market is going to yield the right return or whether we're going to have 200000 when we retire or just 80000 when we retire. Some of us are too worried about if we're going to get this doctor to check us out or that doctor to check us out. Some of us are too worried about whether pastor's ever going to stop preaching. We're going to get out of 1215 or 1230 some of us are too worried about this too worried about what other people think we're too worried about what we look like what we sound like we're too worried about our own feelings we're too worried about nobody thank me nobody appreciates me nobody love me today well I want you to know something God loves you he died on the cross for you and he wants you to sanctify him in your heart above all things and if you'll get there first, you'll have an answer for the world. But until you sanctify God in your heart, you won't have an answer. Amen. The answer will elude your hand. You'll wonder why other people can go through darkness. You'll wonder why they can walk through the fire. You'll wonder why they can walk through the flood and never miss a step. Why? Because they sanctified God in their heart. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing that they, that, that they you know, learned out of a book that you didn't learn. It's just simply this. They set their heart on God. And when you set your heart on God, you can't also have your heart set on yourself. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Choose this day whom you'll serve, Moses told the nation of Israel. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Will you serve God or will you serve Baal, as Elijah said? All throughout the nation of Israel's past, all throughout the church's past, we've all come to that place where we have to make that decision. Who will be the master of our lives? Will you sanctify God or will you continue to sanctify your situation? If you sanctify your situation, you're going to be fixed on how many bills you have. You're going to be fixed on how many issues you have. Or you'll be fixed on how many issues others have. You'll be fixated on how you can get this and how you can get that. I tell you, one amazing thing that God does in somebody's life is whenever he begins to get sanctified in their life, you can tell it. You know how you can tell? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That came from Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Who do you talk about? Who do you talk about? The saints? You talk about miracle grow, how many tomatoes you got today? Or do you talk about how good God is today? Do you talk about how God gave you breath this morning when you woke up, that God gives you forgiveness for your sin, that God's broken the chains off, that God's given you new life, that God is, is filling your very being in this very hour, and without Him, you wouldn't be where you are or do what you could do. But God, God has been sanctified in your heart, and He's coming out of your mouth. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it goes both ways. 
Because when worldly things get sanctified in your heart, when worldly things become the object of your affection, when worldly things become what you idolize and pursue, then out of your mouth will flow those same things. I've seen people come to church and, and pray for a job or pray for a spouse or pray for a position or pray for this or pray for that. And then when they get their object of desire, they're gone. They're out the door. They're no longer to be seen. Why? Because they done met their master and they're out the door. Their master has become their spouse or their child or their job or their car or their house or maybe they just came so they could get some money from the church or groceries or whatever. They got their master and they're gone. Sanctify God in your heart and you'll have an answer for this world. If you don't sanctify God, you'll never have an answer. You'll always be dumbfounded. You'll always wonder. You'll always have doubts. You'll always have fear. Darkness will always begin to overshadow you. But I want you to know when God is sanctified in your life, when God is sanctified in the life of the church, light dawns. Hope rises. Answer comes. You may not know how something's going to be done, but you know who's going to do it. Come on. You may not know how something's going to be done, but you know who is going to do it. You ever been in a situation like that? I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know God's going to. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know if it's going to be done, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. See, we don't put God in a box. We just let God do what He wants to do. And God will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. See, it's a, it, there's a paradox in Christianity. The less you think about yourself, the more you can be confident of this. God loves you. And just like His eye is on a sparrow... And not one sparrow falls to the earth without God knowing about it. He cares for our soul. And the more that we think less of ourselves, I believe the more you know and understand God's heart is on you. God's eye is on you. And His Spirit is with you. The more you think about God, the more you know God's got it. God's got it. Sometimes when, in, in, in Christianity, we can get so fixed on the problem, we stop thinking about who's got the answer. And when you look at it, the world that we live in today, I want you to know politicians don't have the answer. Politicians don't have the answer. I want you to know that if you stored up 5,000 meals for the tribulation time, like they try to sell on TV, I want you to know that's not the answer. I want you to know that you could store up gold. That's not the answer. You want to put your hope in gold and not God? You want to put your hope in horses and not the Lord? You want to put your hope in men and not Jesus? Who do you sanctify in your heart will determine whether you have an answer for this hour or not? Who you sanctify will determine whether you have an answer for the hour in which we live. Every generation has had their battles. Every nation has had their battles. Every season in the church has had its own battles. We're no different. We have our issues. But the answer is the same throughout all generations. Not one generation was exempt from this challenge. Sanctify God in your heart. Not men, not gold, and not what they can do or what they can bring. Not the circumstances of life. Not the situations that we find ourselves in. You, listen, I want you to know this. The hour in which we live is getting worse. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And if the church of Jesus Christ does not sanctify Him in their heart, the delusion's going to set in. This hour, and God said that judgment starts with the house of God. God is even in this hour beginning to weed people out. 
There's a separation that will take place, whether you can stomach it or not. He said he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to separate the wise virgin from the foolish virgin. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. There will be some on judgment day that say, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and cast out demons in thy name, and done many wonderful works in thy name? And Jesus will say what? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. What is the most important thing you can do? Have Jesus in your heart. Once you get that part down, you'll have an answer for this generation. You'll have an answer for this world. You'll have an answer for those around you. You'll have an answer for your family members. You'll have an answer for people that are struggling and lost. And I want you to know this too. I don't believe that God just wants us to cast those foolish virgins off. I believe God wants us to sow words of hope and faith in their lives so that they may wake up. Maybe they're just prodigals and they've gotten wayward and they just need someone to sow the word in due season in their life to give them an answer for the struggle that they're in. If you're alive today, if you're a believer today, it's because God didn't give up on you. He had every right to give up on me. He had every right to give up on you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, He didn't give up on you. And I want you to know He hasn't given up on them either. He hasn't given up on your daughters, your sons, your grandchildren. He hasn't given up on your parents. He hasn't given up on your spouse. He hasn't given up on your coworker. He hasn't even given up on the person that committed that vile travesty against you. He has not given up on their soul. He is not willing that any should perish, but all be saved. That's God. He's not willing that any would perish. He's not giving up. The church has. The church has gotten infatuated with bills and cars and clothes and, and, and all kinds of tapestries and buildings and all these things. When God's infatuated with souls, God's love, His heart is on souls, not buildings, not laser lights, not movements of men. God's heart is for souls. And if that's not the heart of the church, we've erred. We've not sanctified God yet. We've not set our hearts on Him. Because look, and any person that's ever been married knows this, you'll begin to love what they love. Or at least like it. You'll get used to it. But if you've set your heart on God, you'll begin to love what He loves. You see, when you get married, their spirit doesn't go in you. Right? When you get married, they don't give you their spirit. You just get their name. Half their debt. But when you become a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, He gives you His spirit. You see, He imparts to you that Spirit from above. The same Spirit that created the heavens and the earth. The same Spirit that's quickened every soul from all of creation. The same Spirit that is eternal, that was alive before there was even a heaven, or a star, or dust, or a molecule, or an angel. The same Spirit is the same Spirit that inhabits the life of the believer. And without that Spirit, we have no direction. We have no hope, we have no help, and we have no comforter. There's a reason why Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was baptized. And, the, and, there, and there's significance in that. Because after he was baptized, the Spirit came down on him bodily as a dove. And when he did, that's when Jesus began his earthly ministry, signifying a dependence of mankind on the Spirit of God. And in order for me and you to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be, we have to have the Spirit of God in us. In us. And so he says here to sanctify the Lord God in us, in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to, come on now, let's read the Greek on that one. Every man, 
God's called you to give an answer to every man that what? Ask you. Ask you a reason of what? The hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What is the hope that is in you, by the way? What are you hoping in? What are you hoping to get out of life? What are you hoping to get out of life? What is your hope in? Because if, if it's not Jesus, then, then we've missed something. Because we're supposed to be crucified to self. Self is supposed to be crucified with Christ. I said that earlier. Paul said, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Is that you? You see, the, the challenge here is to know and understand what is the hope that is in you. What is the hope? Because so many times people hope for things of this world, things of this life. That's what our hope's in. Well, here's the issue. Here's the issue. If your hope is in money, it's likely to not be worth anything tomorrow. If your hope is in politicians, more than likely, they're not going to satisfy you. They're going to lie to you. Well, not my guy. Stop talking about my guy. Men are men. Women are women. God is God. I'd rather put my hope in God than a man. I'd rather put my hope in God than a man. That's why, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's okay to follow a, a, a person or a teacher or a preacher as long as they're promoting Christ. But once they begin to stray away from that, hey, let them roll. But he says here is something so awesome. Give an answer for what? The hope. Give an answer for the hope. How many times in the church do we see people that are hopeful? When was the last time you saw somebody that was just brimming with hope? More than likely, it's whenever things started lining up for their life naturally. I got a raise. I got a new car. I got married. I got a house. Once you begin to, oh, if, you know, if things continue to go this way, I'm going to have my house paid off. They're brimming with hope. Okay, but when was the last time you saw a saint of God brimming with hope because of the hope that was in them that was spiritual? When was the last time you saw somebody so have God sanctified in their heart that they were hopeful in the Spirit even when their life was falling apart in the natural? Because that's the kind of hope that God does. That's the kind of hope that God gives. And that's the kind of hope God's looking for and talking about. The hope that comes from... Well, what hope, Pastor? What hope? Are you hoping in hope? Are you hoping in hope? No, we're not hoping in hope. We've got a blessed hope. We've got a blessed hope. I want to share that with you. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. I'll show you the blessed hope that God wants you to have. This hope, this hope is something that every Christian, every background, every denomination, every nationality, every tribe, every tongue, if you're a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, this should be the hope of your soul. And this should be the answer you give people. When they wonder why you can look at persecution and not flounder and flail, when you can look at a hopeless situation and not be disquieted, when you can look at a situation that is that on the natural looks like the person has been forsaken, you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt God's not left you. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you, that God sustains you, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. But He will always be with you. How do you know that? How do you know that? Well, there's a hope that God gives the believer. And I, see, our hope is not in new cars. Our hope is not in new clothes. Our hope is not in new things. Our hope is in what? New life. Our hope is in new life. 
Our hope is in the newness that God's going to bring to this fallen and forsaken world. Some people might say, well, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Well, the world's like a wind-up clock. It got wound up. Whenever Adam sinned, it got wound up, and it's slowly decaying and dying. There's always going to be suffering as long as this world is spinning. See, God gives us hope of a life where there is no suffering, where there is no crying, where there's no tears, no sorrow, and no shame. In that next life that God gives us, that's the heavenly life. That's where our hope is. That's where our help comes from. And that's where God wants our hearts to be. He wants us to remember that we are pilgrims in this life traveling through. This world is not your home if you're a believer. And if you think this world is your home, then you're going to get into a place where you're disquieted. It says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, The grace of God, the grace of God that brings salvation, hath appeared to all men. As just a little side note, but that's a problem for the Calvinists. Because it says that this hope has appeared to all men. Not just some men, but all men. But what does it do? It teaches us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You see, God's challenge, God's call, and God's commission to you is to stand for righteousness in an unrighteous world. You have confirmation right there. He teaches us to deny ungodly lust. You know, if if you've got to ask a question about it, it's probably not right. If the, if the word of God's not clear on it, it's probably not right. But let the, let the Lord direct you. Let the Lord give you guidance. But what does the Spirit of God do? He teaches you to, to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly lusts. And to do what? To just sit in a box where nobody can see you? No. So that you'll be a light on a hill for people to see something. So that people will see that there is godliness in the, in the darkened world. That God actually saves people, changes people, fills people, and uses people. You know what? Your family needs to see the light of God in you. The people at your work needs to see the light of God in you. So maybe people in your church needs to see a change in you. But he says that there's a charge to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and to live righteously and to live godly in the present world. You know, so it's, it's not just that you, you, you don't do stuff, but you also do stuff. Right? I don't drink, I don't dip, and I don't dance. That was the Baptist mantra that I grew up in. I don't drink, I don't dip, and I don't dance. There you go, I don't. You're defined by what you don't do. Okay, but what does the Bible say? It says that you're also called to live soberly and what? Righteously and godly in the present world. Meaning God wants to so fill you, fill you with his spirit, and use you as a light in a dark world so that other people that are in chains and in darkness and in bondage and hopeless and carefree can see that there is a God that lives inside you that can save them if he saved you, that can heal them if he healed you, that can give them hope if he's given you hope, that can give them deliverance if he's given you deliverance. Our job is not to be defined by what we don't do only, but also what we do. And we do stand for righteousness. We do live for God. We do live for righteousness' sake. We do. But we first have to have God sanctified in our hearts. And once we do, now we'll have an answer for the world. So what is the culmination? What, I, I told you I was going to show you what the hope is. Here it is right here. We're called to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. 
looking for the blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope. What is the blessed hope of, of, that, that Paul's writing to Timothy? Hey, hey, look, guy. Look, fella. You need to live godly. You need to live godly and look for that hope of a new job. You need to live godly and look for that hope of a new spouse. You need to live godly and look for that hope of, of your favorite politician becoming president next year. You, you need to live godly and look for that hope of, of your, your return coming back to you. You know, whenever you put money in the stock market and you, you put your hope in that. What is he talking about? If you live godly, you'll look for a blessed hope. What hope? What hope? Because I want you to know contemporary Christianity does have this answer. Contemporary Christianity does not have this answer. It thinks if you live right, then you'll get more stuff. If you live right and do right, you'll get more stuff. And if you don't have stuff, it's because you're not living right. It's a lie from the devil. It's a lie from the devil. Paul didn't have anything. I don't know if you know this, but he was a tent maker. He wasn't even defined as an apostle. He didn't take up offerings for himself. He didn't ride around in a golden chariot. He didn't sit in the chair of a, of a king. He worked with his hands as a tent maker to provide for the gospel to continue to move forward. What was his hope in? Because it's sure was retirement. It would have been far easier for him to take up a collection for his retirement than to work with his hands building tents. What was his hope in? Not the hope of the church today, because the hope of the church today is, is, to, is to have more stuff. So he said, you're called to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the blessed hope of the church? The blessed hope of the church today is the same blessed hope of the church from 33 A.D. On that day that Jesus rose up from the Mount of Olives, those angels stood by the disciples and they said, Why are you looking up? He's going to come back the same way that he went up. Now go. And they were called to go and be endued with power from on high after they tarried in Jerusalem for a season. And the church still has the same commission, is to let the power of God flow through it until Jesus comes back. That's our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is on the return, the physical, bodily, soon and coming return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, the angel said the same way he went up, he's going to come back. He's going to come down and his feet are going to hit the Mount of Olives at the same, I believe, the same exact point. His feet are going to hit that same point on the Mount of Olives, but when he comes back, he's not going to come back as a lamb for the slaughter. He's going to come back as the, as the lion of the tribe of Judah to reign as the king of kings and the Lord of lords over the house of David, over Israel and Judah and all the world. He is coming, and that's our hope. My hope is not in who's going to be president. My hope is in who's going to be the king of the world. My hope is not in a politician, but in the king of politicians. My hope is not in money or stock markets or cars or jobs or people or places or things, but in the creator, the king, the Lord of glory, the eternal God, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. That's who our hope is in, and that's what he's saying. We're called to look for that blessed hope, the appearing, the appearing of the great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What is your hope in? What is your hope in? Do you hope in his return? I remember whenever I was little, the church I grew up in, they was all the time talking about the return of Jesus. They would even pray. I mean, they were zealous. They were sold out for God. I remember, I remember to this day prayer meetings where they would say, they would pray, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come today. Jesus, come today. Come today, Lord. Please come today. Come to this earth today, Lord. Come back today. They would pray that. 
And the whole time they were praying, I was like, Lord, please not right now. I've got a life to live. Well, I was young, and I wasn't even saved yet. But, you know, I believe that many in the church would say the same thing today. Lord, not today. Not today. Not right now. I've got stuff to do. I I, want to go do this, and I need to go do that. I've got things going on. When you belong to Jesus, your hope becomes Him. If you're His, if He's sanctified in your heart, the only answer you have for the world is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Why do you hope when things seem hopeless? Because this world is not what I hope in. My hope is in the God of glory who's coming back to this earth. My hope is not in my lot, my lot in this life. My hope is in eternal life. My hope is not in how things fare for me here, but in how things are there. Who is your hope in? Today, who's your hope in? Do you have that same hope where you just believe? Believe. Even when things are going wrong, your hope is not in the things right now. Because I want you to know things can get wayward really quick in life. Things can get out of hand really quick. When you get phone calls you don't want to get or diagnoses you don't want to get or get into situations you don't want to get in or things happen you don't want to happen or, you know, life, the nation can go and be destroyed tomorrow. We're not promised that America is going to be there in heaven. I'm not trying to be an anti-American, but I don't believe the flag of America is going to fly in heaven. There's going to be a flag, but it's going to be God's flag. The flag of the Lamb of, the, uh, of, of, of God. It's going to be the flag of the Lion of Judah. It's going to be the flag of heaven that flies, and it should be flying in our hearts. That should be the hope of our hearts, that God's kingdom would advance in our lives and through our lives into this world. That should be the hope of our soul. So the blessed hope here is not in jobs or money or politicians or nations or friends or family or churches or denominations or buildings. Their hope's not even in their health. Their hope's not even in their finances. Their hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. That hope I said this in a Bible study the other day, but I need to say it right here. See, the things that we preach in America should be able to be preached in all the world. There's a problem if what we preach can't be preached in Africa. There's a problem if what we preach can't be preached in North Korea. Last time I checked, they weren't living their best life now, but I assure you, there's probably Christians there. So if what we preach on TV can't be preached in North Korea, there's a problem with what we're preaching. But this word of God that says our hope is what? A blessed hope of what? The glorious appearing of the great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That can be preached and has been preached in every nation, every tribe, Every tongue, from the time that Jesus ascended up into heaven until now, that same gospel's been preached, that same hope's been preached, and that's the only hope that we have, and it's the only answer we are called to give a world that is lost and dying and in darkness. Our job is not to to teach them how to sow money into the stock market or into your back pocket. Our job is not to teach them to sign them up to vote for your politician or my politician. Our job is to lead them to Christ, to preach to them the gospel, lead them to Calvary, and let them have the same hope that you have. And if you don't have that hope, I want you to have that hope today. I want you to come to these altars and come and meet Jesus today. It could be that you've gotten wayward. Maybe you've gotten sidetracked. Maybe life's kind of gotten larger than faith. Let's change that today. If life has gotten larger than faith, let's change it today. Because I want you to know that God's not satisfied not being sanctified in your heart. 
God being sanctified in your heart is not for the super-duper enchilada Christian. God being sanctified in your heart is not for just getting an extra sticker for being extra. It's not that you're just an A student and other B students don't have to do that. If you're His, He should be sanctified in your heart. If you're His, He shouldn't have to compete with mammon. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. If you're His, He shouldn't have to compete with other masters, other lords, other things, other people. And if He's not where you believe this is talking about, if He's not sanctified in your life, I implore you, come to this altar. 